0: You're listening to Relocation, a podcast about people, places and ideas and how location connects the three. My name's Evan Wallace. Thanks for listening. On each episode of Relocation, I profile the impact that living in a particular city has on people's lives and what role people play in the city they're in. This time, it's Singapore. Singapore is one of the wealthiest countries in the world. It's a truly international city-state and a country riddled with complexity. After chatting with locals from Cincinnati and Mannheim in the first two editions of Relocation, today I'm exploring the expat experience with Shashank Bengali, the LA Times Southeast Asia correspondent.
1: Uh, I found that to to be able to do my job um, I've really got to stay focused on, you know, what's happening in the region that I cover, you know, so I've got to really stay focused on, um, you know, what lessons um, can, we, can we derive from what Asian countries are doing uh, because the outbreak came here first, uh, you know, so are there, are there lessons, are there experiences here that we can kind of um, focus on and, and tell stories about that might be interesting.
0: That's Shashank Bengali talking about being based in Singapore. In my conversation with Shashank, we talked about living in Singapore under the spectre of COVID-19, what it's like to be an American in Singapore, and some of the contrasts between the two societies. Let's get underway. So, it's Friday the 24th of April, and just 10am in your part of the world, Shashank Bengali. Um, Thank you so much for joining me today. What sort of Singapore have you woken up to today?
1: Well, uh, Evan, we're uh, in the second week, uh, near the end of the second week of our, uh, what's turning out to be a two-month lockdown. Uh, They don't call it a lockdown in Singapore. The the official term is circuit breaker, but effectively, we're on a a partial lockdown. Uh, All non-essential businesses are shut. People are being told to stay home as much as possible uh with the exception of sort of going out and and running taking you know jogs and on the streets you're meant to be wearing masks at all times if you do go out all the schools are shut so we are uh, very much hunkering down for you know a a extended period of of uh sheltering in place um the uh the virus itself you know after a couple of months where singapore thought it had uh, kind of uh, broken the back of the virus, uh, kept infections relatively low. Um, it's kind of awoken with a shock to uh, realize that there has been a massive uh, explosion of the virus inside uh, these dormitories where migrant workers stay. These are typically, you know, South Asian and Chinese uh, laborers who come and, and do construction jobs and kind of build the gleaming. Singapore skyline that you may have seen in in crazy rich Asians or if you ever pass through this very busy uh, commercial hub and um, We're now uh, well north of 10,000 infections, which is um, about 10 times the number we had at the start of the month and so with all these infections uh, Although they are clustered among migrant workers who again live in these dorms uh, sort of away from the city center um, the, the, the city state has uh, locked down. And so people are, you know, uh, a, a bit uh, kind of baffled at how quickly that's uh, that's changed, The perception and the reality of Singapore have changed. At the same time, it's a, it's a country that um, is accustomed to dealing with epi- epidemics, uh, had the experience of the SARS outbreak uh, nearly 20 years ago. Uh, and so people are sort of taking it in their stride and, uh, you know, myself we've got a couple of hyperactive uh, toddlers uh, (laughs) we're trying to keep entertained um so work is a bit of a challenge but my wife and i are are managing as best we can so uh all in all uh you know can't complain too much
0: you mentioned that people are feeling a bit baffled and and quite shocked and it is a fascinating story how one moment a country can be uh, leading the way or perceived to be leading the way in terms of having a, a really effective response against COVID-19. And now it's uh, coming under attention for, for all, the, all the wrong reasons. I'm just wondering if you could speak to, uh, a little bit more generally about how the mood is right now on the ground in Singapore. How, how do you think people, people are faring, people are coping um, uh, uh, as, um, as they enter a very new reality?
1: well i think you know there was a great deal of sort of uh, you could maybe call it a bit of an empathy gap uh, that many of us felt you know this is a, a city that has a very large um expat population and so people live in singapore who come from uh, the us europe australia all across asia that come and work in you know finance jobs and and for various corporations that are based here and many of us kind of watched with alarm as our uh family and friends back in our home countries um you know, we're grappling, you know, I'm, I'm from the US, I'm from Los Angeles. And, you know, my parents, uh, I, I sort of watched as they uh, endured, you know, rising case numbers in California, my brother is living in Manhattan, the epicenter of the global outbreak at the moment. And so I was uh, feeling like, gosh, we've got it pretty good. And I was much more concerned about my family and friends back home, I had even at one point went and bought, um, you know, a, a bunch of uh, uh, face masks to ship back to the US because um, uh, my friends and family were saying that they couldn't get them and we could still get them here in Singapore. Um, but uh, that quickly turned. I think a lot of us were watching the case numbers in Singapore kind of tick up slowly um, at the end of March and then kind of much more rapidly at the beginning of April. Um, so we were, we were somewhat taken by surprise, I think, many people because um, the, the narrative uh, had been that the government had this under control. So it has been a bit of a, a bit of a shock. Um, but then again, I think because we've been speaking to family and friends, you know, on Zoom calls and on FaceTime and kind of living through it uh from afar for so many months now, the fact that now it's us dealing with that has not uh, been you know, it's 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 been something we can certainly grasp and now we just feel like we're going through what the rest of the world is, is going through and that bubble that we had thought we were in uh turned out to be not nearly as much of a bubble as we uh I hadn't had
0: imagined. It almost sounds as though you've been in some ways living in two different countries simultaneously with such strong concentration and uh, concern for what's happening back in the US and then also yeah being um, uh, challenged by what's happening there on the ground in Singapore it's a that's a really fascinating situation to be in and and one which uh, I can imagine that at times you've feel um quite torn by it and it was something that i was hoping to to ask you today and and i may as well ask it now as an american um, how how are you feeling each day when you wake up to to such devastating news stemming from the usa being yeah being um, many many miles away how, how does it feel looking back at um at what your country is experiencing
1: Yeah, look, it's been it's been difficult to watch, Um, you know, certainly um, as as an American, as a as a Westerner, I think, uh, you know, we're we're brought up in some ways to believe, particularly in the US, that we have, you know, liberal democratic systems that are going to be able to uh, respond to crises, bring the best and the brightest um, scientists and policy minds to bear on on big, uh, you know, global problems. you know, I've I've been a foreign correspondent for for gosh almost twenty years now, and um, I I often get asked by friends in countries where I've lived. You know, what would the U.S. do in such a situation, or is the U.S. able to to you know step up and play a role, whether it's resolving you know a civil war in in East Africa, or whether it's uh, you know uh, helping to bring aid to uh, earthquake or, or famine victims in parts of Asia. Um, you know i think the world has in the past looked to the u.s uh for leadership and what's been striking um i think it's something that that's been creeping up uh, in recent years but what's been really striking i think in this case given the scale of the of the crisis facing the world is that the u.s is not a place that people are looking to for answers anymore um there's been a real not only a diminishment of the u.s role but but also a kind of um you know, a turning inward uh, around the world uh, among many countries, feeling that, um, you know, because of, of this multipolar world that we have, we have a great power competition between the US and China. Countries in Asia that don't want to take sides, like Singapore, you know, very careful to avoid taking sides between the US and China, they're finding that they're trying to hedge and they're trying to do as much as they can for themselves. Um, Singapore, you know, being a very small country has a difficult time manufacturing a whole lot of goods that they need. Most of what we eat and consume is imported from from outside. But countries like India and, and like, you know, Vietnam and other sort of major countries in the region are finding they have to do much more for themselves. And so I think as an American, it's been it's been sort of bracing to to feel that uh, you know we're not a global leader, and, and you know if anything we're the kind of global basket case in this particular uh, crisis. I hope that's not going to be you know a, a long-term trend, um, but certainly in this moment, it feels like um, we're the uh, we're the developing country, we're the the sympathy case at the moment.
0: How much time during the day would you find your thoughts drifting back to the U.S.? I know that. Um, uh, well at least looking at my own my own experiences having a good number of connections in the US uh, and people there who I really care about I find myself often, often thinking about what's happening, happening in the states, and i feeling quite upset, really, uh, that here's uh, this country that, in so many ways, is, is so successful and, and, and so brilliant across many, many, many um, uh, parts of um, yeah, parts of life, um, and yet what what I'm observing at least is a country that's uh, completely failing in its response to. Um, uh, put forward a, a humane response to COVID nineteen, and I'm wondering is that something which um which which you um feel at a personal level ever catch up on you as well that sense of um that sense of sadness that uh, that's relating to how the COVID nineteen response is being handled with handled within the states.
1: Well, I'm not sure I would say sadness, but I mean it is a really it is a really good point you bring up that I think when you're when you're an expat, when you're living, you know, far from home, as my family and I have for some years now, we lived in India for five years before we moved to Singapore about a year and a half ago, uh, and I lived in East Africa and the Middle East before this uh, for long periods. Um, I think you kind of get used to, uh, you know, you sort of put your your home country. At least I put my my home country kind of in one corner of my. my of my mind and my heart it is i'm still very much an american you know i follow american sports i read american papers every morning and and really all day Uh, i write for an american paper so i'm i'm still quite connected to it of course my through my parents and my brother uh, and friends as well um but i i found that you know to to be able to do my job um i've really got to stay focused on you know what's happening in the region that i cover you know so i've got to really stay focused on um, you know, what lessons um, uh, can we can we derive from what Asian countries are doing uh, because the outbreak came here first? Uh, you know, so are there are there lessons? Are there experiences here that we can kind of um, focus on and, and tell stories about that might be interesting? Um, that's you know, sort of it, it's a big part of my job, but it also, I think, is a way to focus the mind on on where you are and, and not feel, you know, too disconnected from from a, a place that you live in, particularly now when we're really locked in our in our homes for most of the day and, and uh, can't feel the same connections we used to um, with the, the, the city around us. And so, um, you know, there is a bit of sadness. I, I will say that a month back, I, I wrote a piece um, in which I interviewed a couple of um, Americans who were living in East Asia, are living in East Asia, in Singapore and Taiwan. And, you know, just asking them about why they chose to stay here, uh, instead of trying to get back to the US, um, you know, to be with family, uh, when the the pandemic broke. And a lot of them said that they just felt safer um, in Asia, because, you know, America was kind of a mess. And so that, I think was, um, and when I spoke to those folks, um, it definitely felt some sadness, some, some disappointment, um, at kind of, the, the fact that they that they had to make that choice, and that it, frankly wasn't that difficult of a choice. If if their parents were healthy, you know, these were folks in their you know twenties, thirties, forties. If they felt like their parents were healthy enough uh, and could could ride out the storm on their own, uh, then they would stay where they were in Singapore, Taiwan, or um, or Vietnam. Uh, you know, so uh, yeah, I think it's it's something that expats uh, struggle with, you know, maintaining those connections. Um, I've I've just found that. Um, uh, staying focused on on where we live and managing what's happening in Singapore is maybe one way to cope.
0: And so, a really, really interesting philosophy that you've uh, talked about there. Thanks for sharing that, Shashank. Um, you mentioned that you've been in Singapore since uh, two thousand and eighteen. Had you spent much time in Singapore before you moved there?
1: I really hadn't. I, I had, in fact, I, I when the the job uh, kind of became a possibility, we, the LA Times decided to open. Uh, bureau in singapore in 2018 we we had been bought by a uh, a new owner who wanted to invest uh thankfully in in news gathering particularly in, in coverage of asia where you know we have a large readership in california that's very connected to asia by by trade by family links by culture by affinity by food of course um we opened a reopened a bureau in, in south korea and we opened a new bureau in singapore to focus on Southeast Asia. And I hadn't really thought much about Singapore. I never really thought of it as a, a place I'd want to live. I visited when I was a kid, kind of you know, flying through on the way to visit family in India where my parents are from. Um had been here once to visit um a friend who was living here. Um I've been struck by uh just I think everyone knows of Singapore as a, a very efficient, uh, you know, well run, clean, um city hyper modern and all those things um there actually is a lot more um there is a bit of grit to it that i didn't expect if you know where to look
0: oh, um, tell t- 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 me t- tell me tell me more about that I'm, I'm interested i mean how how have your views of the city changed since uh since you moved there so you've said uh, that there's uh, a bit more grit than you'd expect to tell yeah tell me more
1: well, I think I mean first of all, it's um, ethnically quite diverse, as as people probably know. You know, there's a large, uh, not only the large kind of ethnic Chinese population, which is the dominant ethnicity, but uh, Malays and uh, Indians and um, you know other groups and and, and uh, expats uh, from other parts of the world who've you know lived here for very long times. Um, it, there is there are kind of enclaves and there are interesting neighborhoods and there's beautiful old shop houses that have been converted into interesting spaces. There's, um, you know, quite, uh, a good, uh, food scene, you know, lots of good, uh, food from across Asia. Um, you know, there's, there's sort of a budding art scene. It's, it's nothing like you might uh, find in, in, in Melbourne or, uh, you know, in, in New York or London, but it's, uh, it's a small place that, that I think is trying to, to kind of reach for a, a bit, a bit more, um, Uh, in terms of culture and so it's an interesting time to be here it's certainly more dynamic than it was 10 years ago according to what everyone tells me um and i you know i'm lucky i get to travel for my job so i i travel around southeast asia and so uh, you're never too far from from places that are that are uh you know much more uh, rough and tumble so if you need a bit of uh, if you need a bit of, of that then you can just hop on a plane and, and get somewhere like that but um no, I found it to be to be a quite a quite a surprising place in in many ways.
0: A lot of people have their own very distinct stereotypes of Singapore. i know I definitely did um before. Um, yeah before I went there I've only been to Singapore the once and I was there for about four or five days um, before I was I'm venturing off to Germany to spend a, a couple of years there um, and I really really liked the sort of um, bumbly nature of the city I thought it was a place where there was uh, yeah a sense of people really um, uh, easing along uh, in a way that. um that challenged the stereotype that I had of the of the of the city as being one which would have been presumably what I thought could be very very business focused very very straight and narrow. But I think I found the ease of the city something uh, quite surprising um, uh, when I was lucky enough to spend a, a very short window there, um, and also just how how unique it felt compared to other places within Southeast Asia that I'd visited um, prior to being in Singapore and seeing that you spend so much time working and, and traveling around different parts of, of Southeast Asia and uh, you've lived in India most recently. I'm wondering if you could expand on what you think makes it unique as a, as a country in Southeast Asia.
1: Right. I mean, I think it's everything you said is true. It, it is, um, you know, it is certainly a different uh place from any other city in, in in the region um you know we lived in in bombay uh for for five years or so and then we had kids and and you know the stuff that was exciting about bombay when my wife and i moved there you know the the, the chaos the color the noise the festivals the food all of that became a little bit trickier once you've got so we had twin twin toddlers that you know they uh, of course they're born there and suddenly Dealing with uh, you know getting them out for walks and getting them in anywhere in the car and traffic suddenly became a bit uh, a bit difficult. Um, so we were quite happy to move to a place that, as you said, has um, it's just very easy. You know the the whole system of of the of the of the city in Singapore is just efficient. Um, you're anywhere you need to be, and we're lucky enough to live sort of near the city center. And I'm anywhere I need to be in, you know, 15 minutes. Uh, you know. If i take the bus it's 20 minutes if i splurge on a on a grab or a taxi it's you know five minutes um uh i suddenly when i moved here realized that i had a lot more time because i wasn't spending an hour in the car as you might do in in bombay trying to get uh, you know even a couple of kilometers um so suddenly had a lot more time to spend and i could actually finish with work by 5 p.m and get home and and play with my kids for a bit so that was quite nice Um, And that is quite nice. I think one thing that you have to guard against a bit, particularly if you're um, someone who's, you know, trying to think about the city and report on it critically, is not to get lulled into uh, that, you know, comfort zone um, and sort of uh, get a bit too uh, happy with how easy things are. And I think that may be one reason why a lot of us, um, uh, you know, we're a bit late to, to report on this, uh, large cluster of infections, uh, you know, COVID infections, um, among migrant workers, because, you know, we see them, we know the reality of the city is that there's a huge migrant worker population, uh, both, you know, working, you know, men who typically work in construction and those kinds of jobs and women who, uh, particularly in comparison to other cities in the region that we, we neglect the, the very, uh, you know, very sort of, uh, uh, difficult realities of, 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 uh, uh, what actually undergirds that, uh, that ease. And, and that is, um, you know, a system of third world labor that is, um, you know quite different from what uh what the rest of the city is for for the rest of us
0: can you talk a little bit more about that i mean singapore is is famous for being such a a wealthy a wealthy country it's a place that uh, invests significantly internationally but as you've pointed out with the COVID 19 crisis that's at play it's really um shone the light on singapore for Um, yeah for that underbelly of inequality that exists just wondering if you could sort of um, yeah speak to what sort of role that um, um, as as you described as sort of a third world international labourer plays in um, uh, allowing the city to be uh, the city that it is
1: yeah, I mean, I think uh, we have to be quite honest and say that it really is um, two countries in one, you know, the the, the country that um, that people know. I mean, look, it's it's a small place. It's, um, you know, people who know L.A., uh, where I grew up, you know, it's the size of the San Fernando Valley. So that's like about half the size of the city of Los Angeles is all of, of Singapore, you know, five and a half or so million people, slightly more. But the um, the large population of migrant workers, you know, almost one million uh, foreign workers on, on work visas are not counted as part of the population. They're a huge chunk of the labor force. Um, and I think what we're seeing, what we've been reminded, uh, in this crisis is that they are living in a totally different reality. You know, they are the the folks who have built the, the, the high rises, they've built the hotels, they've built the, the incredible public housing stock, uh, and that, you know, the vast majority of Singaporeans live in that, that kind of assures Singaporeans a very high standard of living because almost everybody has public housing, has access to you know a a clean and and sizable uh, you know place to live. Um, all of that is is you know the result of this uh, massive uh, population of migrant workers who earn you know, uh, you know one eighth roughly uh, what uh, the average um, Singaporean earns and and far far less than what. Expatriates, you know, people who work in high finance jobs uh, earn. you know, it was very stark t- to point out that um, when uh, Singaporeans who were living overseas or, or who had been overseas during the outbreak were, you know, they flew back home to Singapore in March as borders began to shut. Many of them were uh, put up in, uh, you know, uh, luxury resorts, five star resorts on on Sentosa Island, which is kind of like the, the resort island of Singapore. Um, meanwhile you know uh, so they're living in these these nice hotel rooms and yeah they're they're sheltering in place and they're not able to go to the pool or the gym but they're they're in these resorts and and then migrant workers who have been infected are going back to their dorms um you know where uh, they there's living in bunk beds and and 10 20 people to a room at times so it is a, a very much a tale of two cities and i think um, we ignore that at our peril and i think the government certainly overlooked how quickly um, you know, that system could, could come back to, to bite the country uh, in, in, a, in a time when you've got a virus that spreads through human contact.
0: You're listening to a conversation with Shashank Bengali, the Singapore-based Southeast Asia correspondent for the LA Times. I'm Evan Wallace and this is Relocation, a podcast about people, places and ideas. After chatting with Shashank about what makes Singapore unique and his experiences as an American in the city, we spent the rest of the interview exploring some contrasting political realities. You're from a country that's famous for its participatory democracy where every man and his dog uh, um, at one stage or another will come up for pre-selection and votes go right down to the the local school board uh, when election time rolls along within the state. I'm wondering if you could just elaborate on or talk to what political engagement in Singapore looks like.
1: Well, oh, you mean in terms of of the Singaporean elections and that kind of
0: thing? Oh no, just um, I'm more interested in how maybe the average Singapore citizen engages with yeah engages with politics and engages with um, engages with the government. So uh, as a contrast to to the states, which um, uh, which from a, from this part of the world, it, it does seem to be a place where participatory democracy. Um, does flourish in, in, in many ways. What does um yeah, what does engagement with government look like in Singapore?
1: Well, so Singapore, you know, it's a, a one-party state. It's been ruled by the same party since independence, so more than half a century. Um, that the PAP, the party of, of Lee Kuan Yew, the the sort of founder of, of the country. Um, still retains almost, you know, total power. There is a very nominal opposition, but they're quite beleaguered and underfunded, and they face various um, roadblocks to advancement. You know, many of them are roadblocks erected by the the ruling party uh, through their control of, of the uh, system of governing. Um, so there isn't really a participatory democracy in that sense. Uh, there isn't uh, free press, either you know the, the main media outlets are government run or government managed. Um, the sort of very small independent press, uh, again, faces uh, challenges of, of funding and uh, occasional prosecution when they run afoul of, of uh, the lines the government has for coverage. Um, and so it's certainly not this type of system that um, we're used to, sort of a freewheeling democracy uh, that we might have in, in, in the West or in Australia. What they have here that that is interesting is um, a really technocratic uh, kind of benevolent um, authoritarianism, you might say. So, you know, Singapore's the bargain they've basically made with with their citizens is that if you forego, if you're willing to kind of uh, forego some individual rights when it comes to political participation, free speech, free press, we will give you, um, you know, a highly efficient, highly competent. Uh, Uh, functioning government and so you know citizens are very active when it comes to expressing uh, concerns about things like public transit or public parks public spaces Um, you know they expect the government when it comes to a crisis like like the coronavirus outbreak to be um, on top of things to be transparent to uh, provide uh, masks and and which the government did at the outset of this crisis and uh, they, they expect you know, highly functioning, highly competent ministers. Um, And so when, you know, we've had instances, for example, the minister who is in charge of migrant labor um, has come in for a lot of flack um, online uh, in recent days because of the mismanagement of the outbreak in the the migrant worker dormitories. Um, She has been sharply criticized. And and that is sort of uh, what people expect. They expect their government uh, to perform well um because that's the kind of deal that they've made taxes are are quite low um but the expectation is that and and there isn't much of a social security net you know uh, you'll often find uh people who are elderly you know working busing tables at at, um, hawker centers and and working in supermarkets and things like that people are expected to kind of work hard fend for themselves Um, the government is going to provide excellent public services, but um, you know, you're kind of on your own when it comes to managing your household and your daily life. And so people kind of have that bargain, um, you know, where they get quite, um, I've been struck by how uh, happy people are to discuss, um, you know, not politics per se, but they are very happy to discuss um, things that are happening. uh, You know, the the virus um, relations with neighboring countries, Uh, people will get into those kinds of debates. They won't get into debates about you know who ought to be running the country, but they'll get into debates about what's happening outside the country.
0: Thinking about that bargain that you referred to, how has that challenged you from a personal standpoint? So when you think about growing up within in the context of being in a, in a democracy, um, but not always uh, necessarily having um, uh, particularly effective government responses uh, and looking at uh, the states at the moment um, a very questionable approach to uh to technical um and sound policy management um you're versus- very
1: kind uh, questionable is enough <laughs> to
0: describe but I, I do i do my i do my best um and then um and then and, and then being being in in singapore where there is that political trade-off that you've talked about how, how do you feel or how about that at a at a at a personal level and how how does it challenge you sort of being um yeah growing up and you know um being from from one in a political context, and now being in Singapore, and as if and you talked about uh, earlier, um, living in a very sort of uh, yeah, a very comfortable um, and very sort of uh, very competent setting.
1: Yeah, it's it's um, it's really it's a good question. It's something that you know my wife and I have actually talked about, which is that you know how long would we want to be in Singapore would we want to raise kids here, for example, in an environment where you know, they, they won't have the same political culture, they won't kind of grow up um, questioning authority, perhaps in the same way, I, I'm I maybe generalizing, we've not been here that long, and I probably shouldn't, um, you know, say too much about, um, you know, what, uh, what, what, you know, they, they teach in schools, but it is, it is an important part of living in a place is to feel like you know you have a connection to it and i think i think for now we do feel a little bit disconnected because we um you know look part of it is that you know i've got a very challenging job we've got young kids who keep us very very busy uh, and now we're in this um, very odd uh, shelter-in-place scenario Um, i suspect if we're here for a long time those questions that you raised would become um, much more acute because it would involve you know what do we want to raise our our kids in, in that kind of environment you know um it's um it's something to think about you know it's um as a, as an expat you kind of take these jobs sometimes and you don't know how long you're going to be in a place um you don't uh you don't necessarily think you're going to get really attached to it um but i know a lot of people who have come to singapore and and because of the quality of life issues we've talked about they kind of put a lot of those um questions about uh, you know uh politics and and uh, you know public life on hold because they they feel like the rest of the things are, are so good it's so safe i mean it, it is really uh, the kind of place where you know my wife's left her phone in taxis a couple times now uh, her iphone and i'm almost disappointed if we don't get it back you know, it's, <laughs> that expectation is that things are, are going to be uh, you know safe and and um there's almost no crime And so all that is very intoxicating, I think, when when you've, um, you know, when you you come from a country that is rife with school shootings and things like that, um, having the the safety of Singapore is quite nice. But I think it is a a question that we'll be considering if we're here longer is that, you know, do we do we want to um, spend more time in this kind of system that is not that it's any better or worse, but it is so different from what we grew up with as Americans. and i think every expat family to some degree faces that that question
0: you've talked about the safety of the city and its multiculturalism and its proximity to other parts of asia but if you had to pinpoint it what would you say is your favorite thing about singapore what what do you love about the city the country the most
1: oh that's a good question um uh, I'll give you a couple of things I really like. Um, Fantastic. I, I love the public transit. The, the public transit is uh, spectacularly efficient and cheap and clean. And, and it's as a, as a kid who grew up in Los Angeles where there is very little public transit to speak of, um, I, I love a place you can get around by bus. I love any city that, that's, uh, you know, got that kind of geography. Um, and uh, so that's a really nice thing um i i love the safety as you said I, I love that there's playgrounds everywhere for our kids uh there's beautiful green spaces um there's you know, lovely gardens and uh, all those kinds of things that, uh, that that you have access to um the weather is i i like warm places i, I love i love the climate um i love the, the fact that it has been influenced so much it is such a melting pot of, of the region uh, you can find good food from from any um uh, any part of, of South Asia, Southeast Asia, and Singapore. I I, I would say it's. I, I often get into debates about you know I don't think it's the best food city in Asia um, by any stretch because I think it's sort of got a little bit of everything. It's not uh, got the best of anything in my view, but it's just you know if you want a taste of this or a taste of that, it's it's going to give you most of what you want. And um, it's just a great place to be in terms of you know as a journalist, as someone who thinks about policy questions and and human interest questions. Um, such a great magnet for, for brain power, for talent, for uh, you know people coming in for conferences, for meetings, for events. You just meet so many fascinating people, um, really, really high quality folks who have done interesting things, who, um, who just kind of form a really interesting uh, cultural uh, connection and, and, and a cultural kind of uh, uh, melting pot, but as I said. It, 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 all that makes it a really international city. Um, and really, you know, someone pointed out to me once, um, this is a city that is a, a really an Asian city. I mean, it's not a city in the mold of of, of a Western or European city. It's a city that um, was designed, uh, is totally inhabited by, and you know, it, 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 it takes all of its inspiration from from Asia. It's a city that was built by by people of this region, and so it doesn't really have to do things the way that, that um, you know uh, New York or, or London uh, would. So I, I like all that about it. And it makes, I, I think, as somebody who has roots in this part of the world, it's nice, I think, for our family to see that, um, you know, you can build a truly world-class city um, in, in, a, in this part of the world, and it doesn't have to be uh, that much like uh, cities elsewhere.
0: Shashank Bengali, it's been an absolute pleasure chatting today. Thank you so much for spending some time and shedding um, some light on Singapore.
1: My pleasure. It's been really great talking with you.
0: You've been listening to Relocation, a podcast about people, places, and ideas and how location connects the three. On today's show, it was Shashank Bengali and Singapore. My name's Evan Wallace, and I'll see you somewhere in the world next time.